been having an interesting email conversation with a friend in this church about getting something done around here and whether or not the goal to get it done is the most important part or the process that we go through to make it happen. As you know, I tend to be a little hyperbolic from time to time, trying to make an impression. And I made the point in my email that, you know, in the church, it is at least as important and maybe more so that we follow the correct process in what we do. The way we do things is every bit as important as what we do. Well, he called me on it in an email in response, and this is the quote. He said that he can't agree that the process is more important than the product. While the process of producing music, art, sausage, sermons, or anything else is agonizing at times, we don't hunger for the process, we hunger for the finished product. Process is easy to get lost in if there is no vision of the final product desired. And so I've been thinking about this a lot lately, and this morning I'm willing to admit that we are both right. (laughs) Like most polarities, it is not either or, but both and. And this is especially true when it comes to what we do as a church. How we do it is just as important as what we get done. But if we get lost in the process, granted, and we get frustrated and tired, we are lost in a maze of theological hedgerows and high-browed moral obfuscation. Nothing ever does get done. The answer, of course, is both. When it comes to being a church, and most really important things, I think, like love and faith and hope and parenting and relationships, when it comes to all that, both product and process go together. There, Bill, I just resolve the conundrum. And I think Jesus makes this clear in this morning's passage. When Jesus was accosted in the temple by the Pharisees, those trial lawyers trying to get something to make him guilty, They were trying to reveal what product Jesus brought that was in some way a conflict with the product that they offered as a temple. They had seen and heard how Jesus had dealt with the Sadducees, silencing them. They knew they needed to be careful. They got a spokesperson uh, to work out exactly the right way to confront Jesus Huddling together in the great hall of the temple, they put their process and their plan together. And then this man walked up to Jesus and asked him the question. The process was already corrupt, you see, because their intent was to convict him. The question was this, teacher, it's a false compliment right out of the chute, trying to show sincerity that's not there. Teacher, he said, Which commandment in the law is the greatest? It was one of those either-or questions. Commit to one answer, one particular commandment, and you neglect the other nine. And they are all meant to be seen as equal. If he said just one, he would be in heresy. 
We were at a dinner occasion a while back when one of the guests decided to play a game of either or to get the conversation going. And it was like this. Which do you prefer, pie or cake? A car or a truck? Apple, computers, or, Mac and, or um, Microsoft? One of the party refused to go along and responded to pie and cake with ice cream. <laughs> to car or truck, both. To Microsoft or Apple, neither. It led to an anxious conversation around the table while some there began condemning the one who refused to play the game when in fact this one was just telling the truth and didn't want to be pigeonholed. Jesus saw this pigeonhole coming a mile away and refused to step in it as well. So he responds to the question, which of the commandments is the greatest? With you shall love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, mind, and soul, which is the first commandment of the ten. And that Lord, you can just see him. He just jumped forward, ready to convict, finger out, and he couldn't get a word out before Jesus then said, And the second of these is also equal, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. In these two commandments summarize all the truth of the law and the prophets. This is our goal and our process, to love the Lord and to love our neighbor. This is the point of being a Christian. The product that we are trying to produce, you see, is a body of people who claim to follow the way of Christ. Everything we do needs to be done with that in mind. The goal for us as a church is to be disciples of Christ. And the process we use to get there has to be the same process that Christ used when he lived. I cannot emphasize this enough. If love of God and love of neighbor is the goal, then only by a process of loving can we accomplish it. The ways of Jesus, as I said, hope, joy, love, faith, forgiveness, unity, reconciliation, the end never justifies the means. If the means are corrupt, then the end will be too. Both process and product need to be congruent. I think as I see it and I read it that everything Jesus did in his life pointed to this. I am the way and the truth and the life, he said, which is to say that his way is the only way, his truth the only truth, and the way he lived his life the only way toward life-givingness. This is why people, early Christians were called people of the way. And this is why the writer of Hebrews, when speaking of the great characters of all the faithful people from Moses to, to David to the prophets, goes through the whole litany of all the prophets ends up by saying in that great 11th chapter passage, yet all these, all these, though they were commended for their faith, did not receive what they was promised since God had provided something better so that they would not, apart from us, be made perfect. 
And then this great verse that we all know, therefore, since we are all surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. In other words, if the product we are after is to become like Jesus, then it is a long marathon relay race all lifelong requiring each of us to follow the way of Christ. All those who have come before us are dependent. This is why I disdain those bumper stickers that say, I found it. Instead of one I like better that might say, I'm finding it, or maybe yet, better. It is finding me. This is why our mission statement begins searching thoughtfully. The life of faith is a lifelong process toward a goal of being Christ-like, one that we never achieve in this life, yet we run that race. So therefore, being the church, what we do and how we do it is about process as it is about product. And although I have to admit, this is becoming harder and harder in our consumer-marketed world that we live in. A marketing, branding world that seems to imply that our brand is who we are. When the church gives in to the branding process like Apple or General Motors in trying to brand our product line, something gets lost When we come across a selling a product, whatever it is, peace, salvation, justification, nirvana, some utopian solution to all of our problems, sooner or later we'll wake up and see that we've been sold a bill of goods. Nothing can deliver us all that is promised in this market consumer world, especially the church. So if we were honest, the product we have to offer would sound something like this. We at Riverside don't have everything to meet your needs here, but if you are willing, we will journey together on the way of becoming more Christ-like. And in that journey, we might find out something about our needs we didn't know before. In other words, come be part of this race together of becoming more Christ-like. And what we need, really need, might actually be revealed. And this is especially true when it comes to stewardship. Certainly there's a product in mind, a goal that we would like to achieve as a church. And the goal is usually understood by most people, simply stated is this. To motivate enough members to give enough money to meet the needs of our mission at Riverside Church for the coming year. That's usually the goal understood. The goal to raise money to support our mission like any other fundraising process like Pledge Week at Public Radio or your annual fund drive at your alma mater. But you know what? It's not like any other fund drive the way we do it here. 
for the process that we use in the church for stewardship must be decidedly different. It's not then that we are being true. If it's not, then we are not being true to the way of Christ. And we can't, for instance, therefore, publish the names of those who have given the most into different categories, the perfect member category, the almost perfect member category, the not-so-perfect member. We don't have a thermometer in front because we don't even have a goal for our budget. Our budget ends up being developed after the congregational response. It's the response that motivates the budget and not vice versa. Why? Because we think here that this is the way of Christ. This past week I traveled to Baldhead for my annual red drum fishing event And over the 14 hours of driving, I was able to listen to 30 sermons from famous Presbyterian ministers that I ordered from the mothership known as the Presbyterian Foundation. I know this sounds completely boring to you, but I found it enthralling. There were some incredibly powerful sermons on stewardship, many better than I could ever imagine to preach. But I have to be honest, most of them, but not all, but most at least, as far as I could see, it seemed like the preacher was trying to sell something to the congregation. Maybe it was relief from guilt. If you make a pledge, you don't have to feel guilty. Some sold mission gifts so we can continue to do all the things we do in the world like Massanetta Springs and so forth. Habitat, Haiti. Some sold an implied blessing. If you sow accordingly, you will reap accordingly. Some sold the brand name. I heard one preacher get up and say that this church gives more money than any other church in the Presbyterian denomination. Thank you for that. Now, implied, give more. Some sold the budget. This is what we need to do our job. If you increase your pledge 10%, we'll reach it. Some sold tithing. The Bible says 10% is the standard. That should be our goal. And each year we should work for it. Some sold an implied threat of salvation. Implied, almost overt. If you don't give, you will not receive God's grace You might even receive damnation. In some way or another, almost every preacher and stewardship committee seemed that they had tried all of these ways, as have we, almost all of them, not the threat part. But it left me wondering why year after year I'm scratching my head, questioning the whole process which seems like trying to sell you on something in order to get you to give generously. Certainly, receiving enough money to keep us going is important, which year to year is always at risk. And while having enough money is one of the products that we hope to produce, I have to tell you, it should be near the bottom of importance. 
So here's a question. What if, in the end, we have no product to sell, nothing to offer you to sell to get you to ante up? What if, in fact, the real goal for stewardship is to get each and every single one of us, every last one of us, more involved in the process of prayerful discipleship, of following the way of Jesus? Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also What if the point of stewardship is to see our generosity as the process where we become more disciplined in the way we use our time and talent and treasure and more intentional in our faith lives and more responsible in the law of love and neighbor? In other words, stewardship is the vehicle that God gives us, one of the primary ways that we grow in faith as Christians. If so, then the point is not so much the end result, but the process we are willing to go in order to get there. I admit it sometimes is slow, laborious, painstaking, even a struggle. But what isn't that's important? So this year, when you are thinking about your stewardship response, which you will have the opportunity to do when you receive your cards soon, And bring that response to this table two weeks from today. This year, why not go through your pledge process a little differently? Instead of just doing whatever it was you did last year or increasing it a small amount. Instead of just finding some percentage to go by, prayerfully ask yourself this question. What is it I want to achieve in my stewardship giving, and how does my giving support the way I am following Jesus Christ? What is it I want to achieve in my stewardship giving, and how does my stewardship support the way I am following Jesus Christ? Sit down with this, and all the stakeholders in your family And prayerfully ask yourselves these questions and then respond accordingly. I completely believe that if our goal is about giving ourselves over to the way of Christ, we will never have a problem with time and talent and treasure to meet our mission needs in this church. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.